normally I have a little witty comment to make to open this show up, but uh, I think we just get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, we've got, got a lot to go through. I've got nothing witty or funny to say. What after about you make this. us watch a documentary about it and then read about this? I've got my whiskey. And we're, uh, <laughs> Who has their antidepressants ready for this episode? Yeah, I need some Prozac after this one. <laughs> As I shake my ice cube. I know. Yeah. She has to do the pat- patented ice cube shake <laughs> into the mic. Just a little bit of housekeeping from last week. I fucked up on the names. It's Michelle Gousset and Kiowa. Camp Kiowa. I'm just too Southern for my own good, y'all. I'm sorry. And I had twisted one little bit up on the notes. Denise Milner was not bludgeoned to death. She was strangled after being drug out into the woods. The other two girls were the ones that were bludgeoned. So just moving on, moving on from that. <laughs> All right. So where we left off, Camp Scott had immediately become a major crime scene and was evacuated four hours later. The bodies of Lori Farmer, Denise Milner, and Michelle Gousset were found 150 yards away from their tent. The wooden floor of the girls' tent was covered in blood. What struck investigators as interesting is that it appeared someone had tried to clean up the blood using towels and even the mattress covers. That's insane. The fact that there was like... He had enough forethought. Why even try? Why even fucking try at that point? I don't know. Like, it's almost like this was so savage Mm -hmm. that this person was so out of control at that point in time that it was almost like a way to regain control. Like murderers, Mm -hmm. like remorse. Post-murder clarity. Yeah. Oh, shit, I got to clean all this up now. Yeah. There's no way to clean that up. No. You will never get all the blood. Even if you think you have it all, you'll never get it all up. You just won't. So what else caught their eye was the fact that there was another footprint left behind, one outside of the tent, and this one didn't match the one found inside. They carefully removed the floor from the tent and had it airlifted to the crime lab for further inspection. I forgot to put this in there, but the boot print on the inside of the tent was a nine and a half in men's. I believe that'll come up later on, but I should have put it in the front end. So just saying that. Questions asked of camp staff revealed that the slaughter may not have been a spur of the moment opportunism. With some evidence that the camp had been watched for a while. Imagine that. It was discovered that leading up to June 13th, strange and disturbing events took place at the camp. For starters... In April 1977, during an on-site training session, a camp counselor discovered that her belongings had been ransacked and her donuts had been stolen. Inside the empty donut box was a disturbing handwritten note stating in capital letters, quote, we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one, unquote. And next time, bring Duncan, not Krispy Kreme. The director of the of that camp session treated the note as a prank, and it was discarded. That's, <clears throat> yeah, 
I don't, you just don't do that. Mm-mm. Who steals somebody's donuts and then leaves a note and you just discard it like it's nothing? <laughs> I don't think I would discard that. This is a capital that. crime. Yeah. yeah he I'd wrote call it in all caps. on the donuts. <laughs> Have you ever gotten on Facebook <clears throat> and somebody writes in all caps? That usually means they're angry. Right. Right? This is in the exactly. 70s, so they didn't they didn't type out on I mean, Facebook. They didn't get that That, that was yet. their way Could of doing it. Could you even all- call the cops? About stolen donuts? No, but you could have had a creepy note that was left. It's just the start of a slasher film at this point. Yes. That's literally all it is. We're in the opening credits. Uh, Uh, It is a summer of slaughter, so we're doing this. (laughs) Stay tuned. So then, items started mysteriously disappearing out of tents. And on the night before the murders, two mysterious men were seen lurking around the campground. Seems like enough to cause alarm. However, these were also dismissed as typical camp pranks. This is like... Why are grown men lurking around a little girl's Girl Scout camp? This is not a fucking prank. This is like, oh, wow, okay, a letter, and now there's people creeping around the camp the night before all the campers get here, planning the shit out. It's just a prank. <laughs> what? No. The beginning part of any credit to a slasher film. We're in the white Cut people. to three days or earlier. Yeah, seriously. We're at the part where, like, what was that noise? Let's go find out. Yeah. Hello? Is anybody there? This no. is just a testament to don't go out in the woods. Yeah, don't look in the woods. Don't where's go the, in the woods. Where's the nighttime video of like woods and then nighttime <laughs> video of, of steam rising from a lake? That's usually another one. <laughs> Literally. But there was still more evidence to study and catalog. They found a red flashlight with a piece of newspaper inside it, a roll of duct tape, and a nylon rope close to the area where the bodies were found. A man living in his car just seven miles north of camp was picked up by police and questioned. He was later released as they believed he had nothing to do with the incident. It was soon learned that the rope and tape used in the murders had recently been stolen from a farm one mile from Camp Scott. The farmer, Jack Schroff, had an alibi for the night in question and also passed a voluntary lie detector test. But this did not stop local media from printing his picture under the headline Slayer in an early article. That is so fucked up, dude. I know. They drugged this man publicly and Mm -hmm. he will forever be in the zeitgeist of this case. Mm -hmm. When you look it up, like the beginning parts of this case, does his picture come up? Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. He has to live with that. It kicks off in the story of this case is like he was one of the original suspects and then they moved on. But he's his name is always forever going to be associated with this. Like Richard Jewell. Yeah. I like that hoodie, Sam. (laughs) This is literally my favorite hoodie of all time. She's wearing her Atlanta (laughs) Olympics hoodie from 1996. So this would be the opening salvo in a case which would begin to pit police against media against the community. Before long, the locals would also be fractured by claims of racism, planted evidence, and mistrust. The investigation was only going to get harder. This is a testament of, like, maybe not what to do on a on a murder case. <laughs> this is literally a what not to do murder investigation. Where is Stacy and Clinton, like, with the what not to do on a murder? <laughs> 
This this is just monumental for, fuck ups. Thank you for getting that. I did not. You're from, welcome. They're from a show called What Not to Wear. Oh, uh, okay. Wear. Yeah, instead of it's What Not to Do When You Murder. Yeah. <laughs> we can cover that later. Yeah. Jesus. Oh my God, that could be a total episode. That can be an absolute episode. I'll let you guys vlog that. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with it. What Not to Murder. <laughs> Dude, I can totally do a What Not to Do When You Try to Murder Somebody. Don't have Christian with. <laughs> no, bring Christian with me. No, no, I scapegoat. Shed. No, I shed. I leave all the evidence oh, behind. So don't. I'll do it. My hair's dirty. I don't shed. No, I'd have to like. You'd have to like go in there like, I don't know, bald headed, nothing, no hair literally, on your body. Literally, that Looking is like only, a neck and mole rat. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> not even eyebrow hair. Those things are so creepy. That's like that's random as fuck. You're just I'm in there looking like a Kim testicle. Possible. Yes, I think of Kim Possible. Mm-mm. Oh my god. Rufus. That was impossible for Halloween last year. I love that. I also <laughs> well, here's Shigo. <laughs> Do you want to be my Shigo this year? I didn't get to go out for Halloween last year. Oh, we went COVID. out. We went all of the out. I, I we went none of the out. I went all of the out. Right. This one over anyway. here is dead. <laughs> or close to it. Further examination of the bodies produced fingerprints and a single hair believed to be that of the perpetrator. The hair belonged to someone of Native American descent. Next to the tent, they found a pair of women's glasses and a glass case that didn't belong to any of the campers. They were removed and tagged. They suspected a woman may have taken part in the slaying of the girls. Women's glasses, you say? (laughs) Put a pin in that, Eric. (laughs) Those couldn't be very, very important. Later on. Oh, is that foreshadowing? <laughs> a little bit. Did you catch that? Did a little you catch bit. Of that? Yes. The forest was extremely dense, so investigators brought in a group of highly trained dogs, later nicknamed the Wonder Dogs. These dogs were able to indicate that the perpetrators must have passed by the camp counselor's tent first before moving on to tent number seven. I want to see that episode of Paw Patrol. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Like, make that an uh, HBO Max series. <laughs> the the Wonder Dogs as they solve the murders. Wonder Dogs, that would be so cute. As they solve murders, yeah, it won't be cute here in about shut up, fifteen Eric. minutes. Shut up. This is why there's whiskey involved. This, this is episode. why Sam's drinking whiskey. So the dogs followed the scent all the way into the woods before losing it. Due to the size of Camp Scott, it was hard for law enforcement to secure it while they while they searched for evidence. In the weeks after the murders, a security company was employed to guard the camp, which had now been vacated of all staff. According to these security guards, there was evidence that someone was still stalking the camp. Shit is about to get... Re- this is where this case goes from, like... This is really fucking disturbing and brutal to this is getting really, really fucking weird. They were leaving footprints in fresh sand and leaving doors open that had previously been shut. They also spoke of seeing silhouettes in the dense woodland on multiple occasions. And sometimes dogs were used to try and track whoever was out there. One time, a dog returned to the tracker and had seemed to have been struck. The guards began leaving threads tied between trees to see which paths the intruder was using, and they would find them broken on further investigations. 
So the killer's in the fucking camp, like yeah. around the camp. He is, is all over this shit. This is like when a stranger calls type shit. This should be a fucking like actual horror movie. I have no, I mean, aside from the brutality level of this, I'm surprised it's not. Paramount, excuse me. Can you, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I could, I don't think I could watch this again, much less No, I mean, it's it. damn near a snuff film. There is no fucking way you to do this. You don't think anybody at a Sundance festival would make a, like, make a it's, movie about it's, this? It would be like Serbian film level mm-hmm. fucked up. There's no way they could do this. It would, it would be banned. It would be a banned piece of cinema. There's no way to like downplay. I mean, it could be loosely based on the Oklahoma but it's Girl got Scout murders. But everything in it. One day, the security guards returned to the Great Hall which they used as an office when they found a bag that had been left by the door. This bag contained pink socks and a pair of tennis shoes with the name Denise Milner written inside. Both the socks and shoes were wet. Tom Kennedy, deputy director of the OSBI at the time, said that two pairs of shoes were already in evidence lockers He believed those found by security guards were to be viewed as a separate piece of evidence, but nothing came of this lead. So the killer kept Denise Milner's shoes. Like a trophy. Like a fucking trophy. Within a couple days of the OSBI, I'm sorry, within a couple of days, the OSBI had eliminated all obvious males as suspects. So like Jack Schroff, Richard Day... And Camp Ranger Ben Woodward, Sheriff Weaver had one more man on his mind, who at first glance was a likely suspect. Cherokee Indian Gene Leroy Hart had been on the run for four years after escaping from Weaver's own Mays County Jail and was known to be in the Ozarks area. In later years, the fact that he had evaded Weaver led many to believe there was a personal vendetta driving the manhunt. This was exacerbated by the fact that not one piece of physical evidence tied him to the scene at this time. Yeah, Weaver kind of just pulled this dude's name out of his ass. Gene Leroy Hart, who was 34 at the time of the murders, had been at large since 1973 after escaping from the Mays County Jail. Hart was raised about a mile from Camp Scott and was a Native American Cherokee. In 1966, he abducted two pregnant women from outside a nightclub, drove to a forest on the outskirts of Locust Grove, and raped them. Hold on one second. What the fuck were two pregnant women doing in a nightclub? I thought he, like, picked them up from a Lamaze class or something. I don't know. I only went... I only ever went to uh, like a bar here, Magoo's, because I love their wings. I crave their chicken wings. Yeah, but but that's different. They went to a fucking nightclub. <laughs> they went to a fucking nightclub. <laughs> like, hope my water doesn't break on the dance oh, floor. God. <laughs> oh no! He had been convicted of kidnapping and the rape of two women, as well as four counts of first degree burglary. The two women were bound with duct tape and rope. After the rapes, in an apparent attempt to murder them, he closed off their noses and mouths with duct tape and left them to die in the woods. Fortunately, the women managed to untie themselves and raise the alarm. They described Hart as being incoherent during the rape 
and that he made strange growling noises. Extremely guttural, like... Inhuman. You know, kind of the same that were heard. By camp counselor number two. Yeah. Making weird noises, acting animalistic. A possible link to the strange noises heard on the night of the murder of the young girls in Tent 7. In 1973, Hart escaped by sawing through the bars to his cell window. He was eventually recaptured, and he was known to have committed three burglaries in total. And in each case, the victims were asleep in their houses at the time. Hart eventually admitted to both the rapes and burglaries, sentenced to a total of 305 years as he had tried to evade the first trial, attempted to kill his rape victims, and committed further crimes while on parole. Sheriff Glenn Weaver believed that they had found the murder weapon on June 16th, publicly revealing it to have been a crowbar and saying that more fingerprints were found while no suspects had been officially identified. He is just constantly fucking this whole thing up. I don't understand how he can link them via fingerprints. He he can't. I know. We'll get into it later on, but he is fucking this whole thing up. I already have issues. I would say he <laughs> is the main reason that this whole thing went horribly wrong. The case was already beginning to break down with internal tensions being very public. DA Sid Wise openly began to, quote, correct the record on Sheriff Glenn Weaver's statements, denying the murder weapon was found and stating that there was no suspects. Weaver claimed that there was one. Just a day after the denial, Wise would say it was, in truth, several suspects, a statement backed by the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. So they have, so you have three sources contradicting the shit out of each other. Yeah. Publicly. Yeah. They, they're just in a cat fight Mm -hmm. with the media. It's, it's a complete fucking disaster. It's like, well, we have everything we need. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, we don't. It's like we they found a crowbar. He he just came out and said it was the murder weapon. Right. So this is like the like authorities making these allegations. And I'm sure guess, that I'm yeah. sure the media is like like they're yeah. doing like the call like they're like, Oh my god, all of the negative energy. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> the, so the problem is this. it was three young girls were brutally fucking sexually assaulted and murdered. And they want to close this fucking case. Which I understand. They they want to get the guy. And Who they won't? and Weaver believes it's it's Hart. But I would say it also because Hart fucking got away from him too. Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely a previous relationship it's that like would benefit him to lock Brendan, that up. Brendan Dassey all over again. Yeah. I mean, not all over again, but like pre Brendan Dassey, Stephen Avery. The murder weapon would eventually be said to have been an axe taken from the camp. Meanwhile, with the Wonder Dog's help, police located a cave around two miles away that appeared to have been lived in. Inside the cave were eyeglasses stolen from Cam Scott, duct tape, 
a flashlight battery, and two photographs featuring three women that investigators linked to Hart. The cave was just a hundred feet from a cellar and foundation that had been Gene Hart's childhood home. All right, so this is where they start finding shit to link him to the case. And they're like, okay, maybe he's got something. Writing on the wall of another nearby cave read, quote, the killer was here. Bye bye, fools. 77 6 17. One thing to note about this, other than it's cringy as fuck, <laughs> is the fact that the date was written that way. Because that's normally something that's not done in the States. I've never seen where the year was first. So it's it's more so done in prison. Prisons do that, huh? Yeah. When word got out that Hart was being charged in the Girl Scout killings, his friends and relatives, believing him to be innocent, closed ranks around him. Fears grew that Hart was being framed as rumors began that the OSBI were planting evidence to convict him. It was also leaked to the press that sperm was found in the semen evidence, but Hart was known to have had a vasectomy. This is another one of those pieces of evidence that's going to fuck this whole thing up. <laughs> like, whoever's leaking this shit to the press. Fucking stop. Quit whistleblowing, goddammit. Right? Like, <laughs> you're not all helping. the times of not whistleblowing. Don't do it on this one. Shut your mouth. Goddamn, man. He had 250 relatives living within a half-mile square area. Jesus Christ, I don't even That's have 250 lot. relatives that I know or like. <laughs> you got to think, this is like right near uh, Indian Reservation. They were more than willing to help him. Hart could have also lived off the land, for he was an experienced woodsman. The rugged hills of northeastern Oklahoma offered bountiful fish and game and plenty of places for a man to hide. Coming under increasing public criticism and scrutiny, a media blackout would be imposed on investigators. Huh, I wonder why. This general feeling soon began to bowl into a tinderbox of racial tension as Gary Leroy Hart was allegedly spotted in the camp's vicinity. Two weeks after the murders, a farmer reported that he had seen Gene Hart on a hillside. On further investigation, Agent Harvey Pratt found this information of four fires and cigarette butts. Pratt recognized the formation the cedar wood used and the fact that the cigarettes filters were torn off as an indication of a native Indian smoke ritual. The butts tested positive for the same O-type blood as a heart. A boot-sized print was also found that matched the size of the blood print in Tent 7. But Jean Leroy Hart had size 11 feet. Another one of those... Pieces of evidence. These tensions threatened to boil over on June 24th when 200 lawmen and 400 volunteers surrounded a four-mile area around Camp Scott, 
many civilizations being armed and drunk. Yeah. So <laughs> they sent basically 400 armed and fucked up people out in the woods to hunt for this dude. So like rednecks. Yeah, it was. What day was this on? Sweet this, baby Jesus. This was a fuck up. <laughs> Was this on a Saturday? Like it's just was like let's it? go out in the woods and go hunt that dude to man kill him. Let's go out in them woods. Is this a Saturday manhunt? You know what? Instead the weekend of, warriors it might be. Instead of the hoedown, it's the manhunt. <laughs> instead of a hoedown. <laughs> the tensions rose yet further when members of the American Indian movement also descended on the area to monitor the activities of what they called a posse. Yeah, they they basically went Jesus down Christ. there. It's like the Ozark outlaw hunt. I mean, that's the- <laughs> they went down there to make sure that like these drunk rednecks <laughs> didn't like murder this fucking dude. That they want to make sure it gets a fair shot. There's Why already these- like racial tensions about this thing, and Pardon? they have all these heavily armed alcoholics down on the <laughs> down in the woods, like trying to hunt this guy. I don't care what color. You are. If you've committed all these crimes and like people think you've killed these little girls. I will say, innocent until proven guilty. But what's a fun fact is they ended up arresting a ton of the actual people that came out to help that that whole deal. For like public intox. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's just how do you wrong. get drunk in, how do you get drunk in public in the woods? They asked people to not come with firearms and they still fucking did. Are you serious? This is in the Ozarks. They, they are born with a firearm right? in their hands. <laughs> they come out the womb and yeah. smell gunpowder. They have a little Saturday Night Special when they come out of the womb. And they're right. They do the baby <laughs> photos and it's got a shotgun in its hand. <laughs> oh, my God. A former Mays County jailer would later testify that he had been told Hart was not to be captured alive. Thankfully, the event passed without incident, and on June 29th, the FBI sent 40 agents to assist the investigation. Ben Hyatt of the AIM would later accuse Sheriff Weaver of stirring up the tensions, saying that he had, quote, created a mob situation. And there was a feeling that is being built up against our people in this case. Jeff Laird, the director of the OSBI, would call a press conference on July 6th stating that previous evidence believed to have been fingerprints had not been what the Bureau thought they were. Yet significant evidence pointed to Hart's guilt. After local sheriffs also publicly stated the suspect was guilty, questions began to be raised over the possibility of an unfair trial should Hart actually be caught. Throughout the summer of 1977, OSBI agents used tracking dogs and aerial heat-seeking equipment to hunt for Hart. That's really actually fucking cool that they brought out all this high-end tech to search these woods, but the problem is... That thermal tech could not penetrate the caves, which is where he'd be hiding at. Yep. They battled heat, humidity, chiggers, and ticks, but it was as if they were chasing a ghost. 
One of the agents, Harvey Pratt, was a Cheyenne Arapaho. Arapaho. And was a firm believer in American Indian mysticism. When Dick Wilkerson and his brother Mike Wilkerson, also an OSBI agent, wrote a book about the Girl Scout murders, they quoted Pratt as saying, quote, The Indians in this part of Oklahoma believe that medicine men have medicine so strong that they can change themselves into birds or animals or give someone else this power. So what's really cool about um, Pratt is that this isn't the only high profile case he worked on. Like he would, he uh, worked on the green river killer. Mm-hmm. He worked on Henry Lee Lucas's case, oh, Otis shit. tool, the I five killer, um, Ted Bundy. Even he worked on that. And then the Oklahoma city bombings and stuff like that. But he is entrenched in like these high profile cases. Because he was so good at what he did. Wasn't Otis Tool a uh, suspect in Adam Walsh's murder? Didn't he confess to it? I don't know. We might do an episode on it later. I have way too much true crime knowledge in this noggin. (laughs) (laughs) Such individuals are called shapeshifters or flesh runners. Because I won't say that at night. I won't say that at night. Wait. I can't. Flesh runners? It makes me... Flesh pedestrians. <laughs> Are they track stars? Because <laughs> uh, all I can think about when you say a flesh runner is like I, somebody that's literally just like running and there's like I wouldn't paranoid say and then say it at walker. night. Yeah, yeah, don't say that shit at night, dude. I'm not saying it at night. I won't do it. We don't live anywhere near like a reservation, but I still will not say it at night. Nah, I wouldn't. I, I left it out of the, the whole transcript just so we wouldn't say it. <laughs> it's right here. Oops. <laughs> so I said flesh runner. Flesh pedestrian. <laughs> he just wanted to say pedestrian. Flesh pedestrian. Well, they walk. With their uh, flesh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I won't say Maybe it. Maybe wearing I the flesh won't. of others. No. Ugh. I won't say it. I won't say it out loud at night. And I can't whistle so I'm safe in that area. Skinwalkers. No. We're talking Eric. skinwalkers. He said it. He said the thing. Now someone's going to walk me to my car after this. I got to take the trash out anyways. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not convinced that cat Good that's around here. Good job doing your husbandly duties there, Eric. <laughs> no, no problem. At least you're not hiding in a cave, shape-shifting. <laughs> Pratt and others of like mind thought Hart had strong medicine working for him. It was said that a medicine man had put a curse on the OSBI's tracking dogs shortly before one dog died of heat prostration and another was struck and killed by a car. So two of the wonder dogs kicked the bucket. They kicked the water bowl. Why would Jesus. you say that? Oh my God, Christian. Terrible. Because I'm allowed one episode to say something terrible. Oh my God. So you chose dogs. Yeah. Dogs dying. He said flesh pedestrian, and you come after me about me saying kicking the water bowl. And I can't take, I can't. I mean, it tracks. Whenever we do that episode, please don't say that, because I will laugh every single time. 
I'm going to. I then you better turn my mic off when you say it because <laughs> I'm in tears. Oh my god, <laughs> the crosswalk. Can we just talk about the crosswalk? It's like the Beatles album cover, Abbey Road. Road, just with like a bunch of flesh pedestrians on it, wearing different animal skins. Stop it! I'm crying. So as the months went by, former high school. Football star Gene Hart became a living legend. This dude was like a folk hero to the native people. I'm rolling my eyes. By late September 1977, reward money gathered from various sources had grown to more than $20,000. And that was enough for one informant to offer police help in finding Hart. The informant also told authorities that Hart's brother-in-law was plotting to drive Hart to the Cherokee Reservation in North Carolina. So the OSBI put a tracking device on the brother-in-law's car. The agent's plan was thwarted when a Hart supporter who worked at the police headquarters snitched and told Hart's family about the bug. Yep. What the fuck? Dude. The, that uh, tribal loyalty, man. I don't give up. No. Mm. Better watch out. They're going to send a flesh pedestrian after you. No, you're she can't. I quit talking that shit, Sam. <laughs> if you hear anybody calling your name tonight, don't don't acknowledge it. Can you stop? Because I do not want to get a phone call from Sam at like one o'clock in the morning. And then Christian. I'm like, Christian, save me. And then, and then I just assault you <laughs> during the winter investigators spent long nights in the woods and sub-zero weather as they continued surveillance on places they thought Hart might be hiding finally they got a break their informant learned that Hart was staying with an old man in a tar paper shack in the Cookson Hills between I don't know if I can say this um, Taliqua and Salisaw. We'll we'll go for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Blame it on the southern accent. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, it, that's how it, phonetically it should sound. So sounds good to anyway. me. Anyway, I knew what you meant. Perfect. Um, on April 6, nineteen seventy-eight, OSBI agents closed in and took Hart by surprise. Without a single shot being fired. It was almost anticlimactic, but the agents were elated and could not contain their excitement. They whooped and hollered with joy. Some were on the verge of tears. The manhunt had lasted 10 months, had consumed more than 10,000 man hours, and cost the taxpayers $2 million. Hart had hidden for five years in an area about of about 25 square miles. Damn, he's like the hardest damn person to find. Right? Kind of <laughs> brings back that point that he might not be like everybody else. The question now became, could the prosecution prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Gene Leroy Hart was guilty of the slaughter of the innocents? Or was the killer... Or maybe killers still out there. Is it a shapeshifter of a doubt? 
<laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tired. <laughs> oh my god. Despite his criminal record, Hart's friends and relatives could not believe their former high school football star was capable of brutalizing and killing little girls. His supporters thought that he was being made a scapegoat by the white establishment. You mean that guy that duct taped up and raped and left those two pregnant girls for dead? You don't think he could kill two uh, two, uh, or three women? Can't be Three little girls. Three little girls. Nah, it's just the white man. Yep. The white man's always keeping us down. Jesus Christ. Don't even get me started. They sponsored benefits to raise money for his defense. Their vehicles sported bumper stickers that read, quote, the heart of Gene County. Oh, my God. I was going to say something really terrible, <laughs> but I'll, I'll say it afterward. <laughs> I can't. The American Indian Movement sent representatives to prior Oklahoma to monitor the situation. Even before the trial started, a media feeding frenzy prompted the prosecution to seek a change of venue, but the request was denied and the trial got underway in March of 1979. Special Prosecutor Buddy Fallis Jr. was appointed to assist DA Sid Waz. What an unfortunate name, Fallis Jr. <laughs> that is just a Where's very... Where's Fallis Sr.? <laughs> the... That's just a you very unfortunate name. Me. He definitely got bullied in school. Oh, no. Probably. He's got a junior phallus. Oh, look at that. <laughs> hey, you got to start somewhere with a junior phallus or a senior phallus, whatever it may be. I feel like I'm ordering from Wendy's. <laughs> Is it the number two special? Does I it come can't. with fries as a combo? <laughs> y'all. I'm out. I'm done. I can't. I'm in Look, tears. man, last last episode was way... I'm trying heavy. to... I'm, I'm bringing the the heat over here, Sam, to make you laugh over here. We watched the documentary earlier with Johnny <sighs> Cash narrating it. We're nice. in the pocket now. Someone Cry scared. for the Children is actually a very, very good documentary and it an was. amazing book. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. It's where a lot of the information from this podcast came from. Buddy Jr., was appointed to assist D.A. Sid Waz, who had fallen under close scrutiny because of his alleged intention to write a book about the case. Garvin Isaacs was hired to defend Hart. Not a single jury member impaneled to decide Hart's fate was Native American. The case against Hart was flawed, beginning with the handling of the crime scene and the evidence gathered there. In the tent where the victims had slept, investigators found a palm print and a bloody shoe print. The palm print, as it turned out, belonged to an agent with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. That's just a testament of how much blood was in this tent. That just stepping in there, you were covered, covered in blood. But the fact that they didn't check that and submitted that as evidence. Also, the shoe print was too small to have been Hart's. He was a size 11 mm-hmm. and it was a nine and a half, right? Yep. A fingerprint found on a red and white flashlight at the scene 
was not hearts. Seminal fluid obtained from the victims' bodies presented a conundrum for the prosecution. Sperm was present, but Hart had undergone a vasectomy several years earlier and theoretically could not have produced sperm. The prosecution argued that Hart's vasectomy performed by a 78-year-old doctor had been only partially successful. Consulting physicians said such cases could result in non-productive deformed sperm. Hart had type O blood and was a secretor. The semen sample from the victims was from a non-white male who was a secretor with blood type O and it contained deformed sperm. The number of people in the United States who meet all of that criteria represent 0.002% of the population. Forensic experts also testified that hair found on Denise Milliner's body was microscopically similar to Hart's. This was all in the pre-DNA era, however, and as soon as the defense pointed out, microscopically similar just meant that similar, but not identical. What's crazy is the real hard evidence on this case was his obsession with women's glasses. When he raped those two pregnant women, he took one of their sets of glasses and put them on and kept them. And that's what got him in trouble. And that, that was like some of the evidence in that first case. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at Camp Scott, women's glasses would mysteriously disappear. They were strewn all over the place. Yeah. He would just like find a pair that worked for him and keep them. And if they didn't work, he'd just throw them in the woods. Like that, that to me is the most damning piece of evidence. And it never even made it into. It wasn't the, even talked about. It wasn't even talked about. And when they pulled him out of that fucking house. He was wearing women's cat eyeglasses. Yeah. Like the the ones with the very feminine shape to them. Like circa Greece, 1950s. Yeah. Two crucial piece of evi- pieces of evidence were a souvenir corncob pipe and a small blue mirror found among items in a shack owned by an old man named Sam Pigeon. Hart had lived there with Pigeon... After the murders, Karen Mitchell, a counselor in training at Camp Scott, identified the pipe and mirror as hers, saying they had disappeared around the time of the slayings. The problem was that investigators had seized the pipe and mirror only after they decided to conduct a second inspection of the shack. Sam Pigeon said that he never seen the pipe or mirror. This caused Hart supporters and his lawyer to suspect the evidence had been planted by OSBI agents desperate to close the case. Isaacs also called into question the integrity of Pete Weaver, Mays County Sheriff. One of the sheriff's former jailers, Alan Little, said that he had seen some of Hart's possessions in Weaver's desk, items that later turned up in a cave thought to have been used by Hart as another hideout after the murders. So the- Weaver's the <clears throat> whole reason this thing 
falls the fuck apart. Well, it's he his started obsession. out. Yeah. Like his obsession with Hart. It, it was the whole cause of this. Mm-hmm. Do I believe Hart was definitely involved? 100%. Do I believe he acted alone? No. I don't think so. Because of that other footprint that they found outside of the the tent. And they said two men were lurking around. Yep. So who's the second one? Who knows? The prosecution concluded their case after six days of testimony. The defense then went on to the offense. Garvin Isaacs was t- was talking about a bloody shoe print when he said, you can't shrink your foot. Not as catchy as if the it glove don't fit, you must acquit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. The, the parallels to OJ in this case are... I love the OJ case. ...are insane. It's my favorite case of it's, all It's time. just the trial. I would say mainly the trial is the, the main similarity. I have a very unpopular opinion about the OJ case. Don't tell me. You know what? We'll save it for that episode. Uh, I mean, Talk Murray's already done it. Okay. But Well, if you want to hear Sam's unpopular opinion <laughs> on OJ Simpson's trial. It's called Trial of the Century. Go listen to the episode on Talk Murray. Besides attacking the state's inconclusive forensic evidence and the veracity of the investigating officers, Isaacs also presented an alternate suspect, Bill Stevens, who, like Hart, was a convicted rapist. A woman named Joyce Ellen Payne and her common-law husband, Dwayne Peters, knew Stevens and said he borrowed a red and white flashlight from them a few days before the murders and afterwards showed up with what looked like blood on his boots. He told them he had experienced car trouble in Locust Grove, Stevens denied it all, saying he hadn't even been in the area, and yet Kimberly Lewis, a young scout, testified that she had seen a man who looked like Stevens at the camp. In rebuttal, the prosecution said hair and semen samples from Stevens excluded him as a suspect. The defense rested without Hart taking the stand. The jury began their deliberations but retired for the night without a verdict. The next morning, though, they were ready with their decision. Not guilty. Emotions ran high, relief and rejoicing from the defendant's camp, disappointment and disbelief from the prosecutions. People were actually cheering when the not guilty verdict came out. Jury's remarks included a reasonable doubt, evidence wasn't there, and investigation was a screwed up mess. Which can't really fault him on that last one. Nope. After the trial, Hart returned to prison to finish serving his sentence for burglary. Within the year, he was dead. Officially, the cause of death was a massive heart attack. The autopsy also discovered that the vasectomy was not successful. Unofficial conjecture was that Hart was poisoned by other inmates. Can't really blame them. Yeah, inmates tend to frown upon, you know, child rapist. I guess that's the line none of them will cross. According to Dick Wilkerson, former OSBI investigator, quote, 
a large amount of cyanide was confiscated from prisoners at McAllister State Prison the day before Hart died. No one else was ever charged with the Girl Scout murders. Ted Lemke, OSBI inspector, once said there was no need to keep the case open because the jury had, quote, turned loose the man who committed the murders. I still think that there's other parties responsible. It's not it's not just Hart. I don't think yeah, I don't think it's just him, but I definitely think he was there. I think he was involved. Yeah. Like when they pulled him out of that that shack, he had said to the guy who was walking him out, "You're never going to pin this on me." And they didn't. During the investigation, detectives reported many strange events that occurred. It was discovered that Gene Leroy Hart had been under the counsel of a Native American medicine man during his time of hiding. Hart earned himself the nickname the Sandman for his skills in shape-shifting. A shapeshifter is one who has the ability to change their physical appearance at will. And so it was believed that Hart was able to pull off crimes and stay hidden from authorities for as long as he did. Before Hart was captured, detectives reported seeing a black dog in the woods that would frequently follow them places, then mysteriously disappear. Many people believe Hart was the dog. Several people who have visited the property in recent years still report seeing a mysterious dog roaming the property. And yes, it's black. Cam Scott was sold by the Girl Scouts in the 1980s and is now located on private property. Many buildings still remain dilapidated and overtaken by nature. This haunted place is still as eerie and creepy as it was 44 years ago. Do you think it's possible that the spirit of Jean Hart is still haunting the grounds of this camp in the body of the mysterious dog? I mean... Dude, it's po- I mean, I. it's possible he could be there still. That was sacred ground, supposedly. I mean, there's a reason why the Native American community doesn't speak about flesh runners. I think, you know, he could still be out there in a spirit form or something. We got a little paranormal with this one. I, I kind of wish it wasn't private property. Yeah, they get real shitty about you going out there, supposedly. Like, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised. I will say, in lieu of whatever happened with this case. This was um, a rough one. This was a rough one. The, I will say the most positive thing that I did hear was the fact that they hired security while they were investigating said case. So people weren't like media and crazies and people like walk tramping around right. and messing up the evidence that they already messed up already horribly but yeah. i'm saying that at least they did do their due diligence of getting security to monitor the grounds to make sure that people weren't in there because and yet, obviously when it's still going in there obviously when it's like one of these cases where it's like you know that kind of serious situation where it's there's there's three Adolescents that have been brutally raped, murdered, 
in a very kind of like ritualistic kind of way is what I got from it was it was kind of like they bagged him and tagged him in a way that was very sadistic and kind of like not no no regard for human life I mean that's pretty much what it was zero Um, regard but I will say that as sad as this case is there were remarks from the documentary that we watched of these parents that have to live with this every day was probably more disheartening to listen to than anything else that we would talk about what this guy went through. When I, when I did the research on the episode, I broke it up to where like we could put all the heavy shit in the front and then go into the actual like investigation in the second half because it was too brutal to, yeah, I uh, I it, had a hard time getting through last week's episode. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else could tell. Um, we were thanked in the the comments um, on Instagram for putting the the disclaimer on the episode because it was extremely graphic content, and we did leave certain things out on purpose. Mm-hmm. Just the graphic graphic details of what happened to those girls. Hopefully, we don't come across any. Super heavy stuff, but I promise you, the summer of slaughter it is going to it's be wild. And well. It's <laughs> this, but what a way to fucking really kick it off. It's all downhill from here, y'all. <laughs> it just gets worse. <laughs> we just started up here, and we're just gonna roll downhill. It, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna we ripped the bandaid off. Let's, yeah, let's put it that way. Yep. Uh, summer of slaughter though. It's going to be great, and we're going to end Summer of Slaughter with Charles Manson. My homie. So, he was over there just like, ooh. He's my, I can't wait. I, I cannot wait. I'm getting into that right headspace for that episode. Into summer, Charles Manson. Get it's going to be great. For it. Uh, until then, ladies, who wants to do the socials? Number one. Thank you to whoever has been leaving us reviews on our podcast. Love you. Yes. Thank you. And the rest of you shitheads who haven't, you need to get on this shit. Do it. (laughs) No, but we really would appreciate it if you would review the podcast. We like to hear what you have to say. Um, It's important to us, and it does give us good feedback. Please make sure you guys are following the socials. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. I mean, you're going to find all of when our new episodes drop. Mm -hmm. These are going to be the best places to find us. And also, you're going to get to look at some of the photo opportunities that we actually post um, that are pretty awesome. Yeah, Lots of um, extra content. Yes. Extra bonus stuff on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Yeah, that you're not going to find on either one of them. So you got to follow both. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we don't post something that is going to be on Facebook versus the Instagram. Yeah, Instagram's your best bet. Yes. Follow us on the Instagram. And then as far as where you can find us, guess what? You can find us on any platform. If you find a platform that we're not on, I would like to hear it. Let me. Where is the lie? We're working on YouTube. (laughs) The lie is we are not on YouTube as of yet. We are working on it. I get a lot of questions about if we're on YouTube yet. Um, The reason is, I'm just going to flat out tell you, we're trying to build downloads and YouTube doesn't count for downloads. So we kind of want to build that listenership up just off of her downloads. And then I would say in the next two weeks, we will be on YouTube. We so. got some fun stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to be vlogging yes, on YouTube, too. Yes, we're going to be vlogging. Me so. and Sam have some really yes, fun field trips. We do. She's so excited about her field trip. She's going to be like Miss Frizz on this fucking, like, Shut the fuck school, up. Is that because I'm bus. a ginger? No. Is that because Frizzle. I'm a ginger? No, it's the, school bu- it's the school bus of horror is what it is. Sam's going like to drive over this down flush there. pedestrian. <laughs> going down Main Street. Killing motherfucker. No, I'm saying. I'm dead. Uh, Sam, watch out. There's a flesh pedestrian right there. <laughs> Hits him. Her chameleon falls off and goes out the window. <laughs> no. no. She doesn't have a chameleon. She's got like a bearded dragon or some shit. Oh, my God. It's like a Dollar General version of Miss Frizzle. That's rude. Look, dude. I mean, Miss Frizzle's like way up yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, it's just. But a don't sad call me attempt. the Dollar General. At least call me the Target version. I mean, shit. I'm worth at least a little more hey, than Dollar General. Dollar General's on every corner, dude. That's acceptability. <laughs> okay. Is there is there uh, a skin pedestrian I'm, crosswalk there? Flesh pedestrian. Get flesh it right, goddammit. She can't. Oh god! You go out in the country. We can't call it that when we do the actual episode. I'm going to. Please, I'm going to. Please don't do it to me. I'm going to pee my pants. It's. I'll get you the bucket. (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to be it for us this week. We will catch you next Friday. Bye, guys. Bye.